Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSGA, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it is Wednesday night here in Lansing, Michigan, or Williamson, Michigan, depending on where you are, and today was just an absolutely huge day for the Big Ten uh, and news and everything and fans in general, and boy, it was a mess that started about 9, 9.15, 9.30 this morning, and you know, it's uh, closing in on 10.15 p.m. tonight here, and it's everything still feels kind of surreal a little bit. It does. I mean, considering that this was a couple weeks ago, I guess we're getting almost a month ago, it was they're not playing, and then they doubled down on it. And the idea that we're here in mid-September talking about a late October start for football uh, didn't seem possible. But um, that's – you know, what's interesting about this story and everything that's happened with COVID and college football – is and this might be the lesson for everybody making decisions is things change quickly and there are obviously political wins and other forces but you know the rapid testing thing really wasn't there august 11th and that's what they're pinning their hopes on and uh, i'm not saying they knew that was coming and they should have held off I and mean, obviously in hindsight making that decision was was probably premature but um that's sort of the lesson right you don't know what's two weeks from now. And that again is the lesson, right, Chris? I mean, we don't know. I mean, right now there's a big 10 schedule, but there's also, you know, uh, an outbreak on Michigan state's campus. There's a quarantine in Wisconsin. There's issues in Indiana and other places. And we don't know where this is going to be in, 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 in three, four weeks. And so uh, we'll see, but right now it looks good. Yeah. And I thought, uh, you know, to build Beekman's credit uh, earlier uh, Wednesday, I guess, Earlier than now, uh, in our, our late night overnight drive shift here, um, you know, I, I thought that he was. He, this is the it's it's the night shift with Graham and Chris and Phil. Um, I, I think that you know he was realistic about it. I mean, and and I think all these athletic directors, you know, and, and we talked about this. How many times have I used the term false optimism? Right. I mean, the rapid testing is not false optimism. That's legitimate and actual and tangible optimism. But at the same point, what that does is allow you to know if someone has the virus and how quickly and to, to separate them from the others. That doesn't mean the virus won't get around. And that doesn't mean that there's a chance that it won't spread. And I think Bill Beekman, you know, he said that, you know, or, you know, earlier Wednesday, he said it's probably inevitable that of the 14 teams, there will be a time when one or more teams can't play for a week or more. That's the reality of what we've seen already in college football, and it's the reality the Big Ten needs to prepare for. And, and, that's, and that's saying something beyond simply just 
the, the idea that they have this, this good testing. And I think that's important. I think I, I don't want to minimize that. I think that's the reason, one of the two reasons I think that you're seeing it back um, and the change of heart from, from the, the president's uh, one of three, the third, of course, being the most important of the, the, the lack of cash that all of a sudden these athletic departments hit. But I think that and the, uh, and the, the better idea of the myocarditis issue which still is an issue. I think that's another thing that in, in talking to some of the people in the Big Ten today, you know, they understand it, it, it could be an issue, but they've got a multi-pronged approach to, to test uh, if, some, if an athlete does come down with it. So that was also something that wasn't a, at that point in place. That, those protocols needed to be worked out. Um, but again, you know, this, there's still a lot of uncertainty and unknowns, but you know, as of right now, and I've said this how many times, Graham? You've heard me say this don't write the word will play or they're going to play. They it's scheduled to play at this point, because that's just the, the world we're living in right now. Absolutely. I, I thought one of the things interesting about Bill Beekman today, when, and when he spoke is he could speak with some authority when he, when he had his uh, zoom press conference, you know, a, a few weeks ago when the, when the verdict was different, it was clear that athletic directors had been left out of the room and left out of the no. Right. And, and, and he really couldn't speak from – he could speak from a place of what it might do uh, to the detriment of his athletic department, but not really for the reasons for why they had canceled football. He, he could speak with more authority. And to your point about the, the, the cash, you know, as, as he brought up today, it was, it's, you know, a $30 million loss they were looking at, and that's with yeah, some serious budget budget cuts and all the furloughs they're, they're undergoing already and everything like that. And, and then um, it was going to be a $30 million shortfall. Football, basically, the television revenue alone covers that. And with a scaled back, uh, like they're going to let all the other sports play, which is an important note. But um, the, the, the operational costs, they're going to try to keep them down. So you're going to see, um, you know, you, you won't see the soccer team in California for a, for a non-league tournament. and The baseball team in Florida and those sort of things, um, you're not going to see. But I think that's good, and that's why one of the reasons fo college football is the most important sport in our country. Whether the priorities are correct in playing right now is, is an argument. That's where I'm conflicted. But there certainly is no more no sport that, that, to a greater degree, impacts more people in terms of livelihoods and other sports and opportunity. I'm not certain that by the end of the week that the Big Ten will have any other fall sports. I'm, I've heard from some people that, that that's the, the ultimate – decision that this is going to be football only right now well what i mean and but there is no what's going to, but th obviously well here's the thing other conferences around the country are still going through their fall sports the ncaa obviously changed the the championships to push them back to right. spring which which is a a problem i mean that's that's something and i think that they're going to discuss this a lot but um you know do you want the athletes those athletes to compete in the same season do you i mean is it a is it a budgetary issue where you don't want it you want to try and keep the 2020 ledger uh a little free and you can push that back to 2020 and take the hit and, and try and make up the revenue i don't know i mean sure. but you know i i've heard that there's there's a good chance that it would just be football which from an optics standpoint to me is is really bad because it makes it just look like well geez this really is only about the money well there are a couple things though if the college football playoff was in may then it would have made more sense to play in the spring. All the NCAA championships have been moved because you have to have more than, what, half the teams or whatever. 
have been moved to the spring. So the teams that are, I don't know what fall sports are competing now, but they're, they're yeah, they're going to have So in other words, the men's soccer, which would usually be in the fall, is in the spring now. So you might as well have right. them. And, every, every, and, of course, every other football championship outside of the FBS and F, F, uh, the, the group of five is playing in the spring. It's in the spring. So the championships are. If the championship's in the spring, you might as well play the season in the spring. So I don't think just because they don't have fall sports now going with football doesn't mean they won't have fall sports. I think you're right, though, that they might not have anything else playing um, in this season, especially when you don't know. See, the thing that, that's risky is if you commit to other sports and you commit to those operational costs and something goes wrong where you can't play football and you can't get that television revenue, you you, you have a big problem. In terms of the budget, I, the fiscal year for them starts July one, so I think that's all the. That's true. That that's when what the, what they'll look yeah, at. That's true. But but yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I think there is there, like to to have a robust fall calendar with the other sports right now. Um, before you had revenue from football assured, I, I think would be risky. Purdue uh, beat writer Mike Carmen also kind of said what you said, Chris, about how he just he thinks everything's going to be in the fall, or excuse me, all of those fall, other fall sports are going to be in the spring as well. I don't know if he had sources or if that was just his personal opinion, but to, to, just to go along with what you said earlier. Uh, I want to take you guys back to, I don't know, maybe a month or so, kind of a two-pronged question here. Uh, I'm going to start with Graham first. Uh, um, yes, I guess a month or so ago, which seems like five years. I know, right? <laughs> how, by the way, Graham, how long, how long ago does, does that game at, at Penn State seem to you? The oh, basketball game. Yeah. yeah those are... I mean, that might as well be three years ago at this point. Four, li- four lifetimes ago for me. <laughs> so I want uh, to... So it was roughly a little over a month ago when the Big Ten decided they were going to cancel the season. Uh, so at what point did you officially think that the Big Ten was going to return? And ultimately, are you are you okay with the Big Ten's decision? Two-pronged question for both of you. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what what it was that made me think, okay, yes, that they're they're gonna they're likely gonna come back. But there, there were clearly murmurs about it and reports that they were reconsidering. Uh, you know, it, what, it was not the, the, the Kevin Warren Donald Trump uh, conversation, but it was about that timeline. Um, uh, and, and whether I'm okay with it is is, is interesting. I am conflicted. There's no question. And I mean, I love college football. I, I, there's something about it with, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm an advocate, the, the, just the, the way I feel on a Saturday morning to watch that Iowa Purdue noon game. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. It was like the best Saturdays. I, the, uh, the, the way a stat, college football Saturday feels the, the helmets, uh, the way they shine off a helmet in a night game. There are things I love about college football that are just deep in my soul. Uh, that said, I, I've been a little conflicted about the priorities and, and still am. Um, I, I don't love that. I, look, rapid testing is great. And I think it does make it safe for the players and safe to uh, stop community spread from, you know, player to player, town to town and make it safer for them to be, compete on the field. And I, I it is, that's great. I have a little bit of an issue with the fact that those tests are available to college athletes before they are available to high school math teachers and students and and that's just that's something i'm gonna have to wrestle with that it doesn't you know i but so that that's bothered me and i think the the other thing that the people who were really really gung ho, the, the, the nebraska nebraska tonians or whatever they are the the ohio the ryan days of the world the people just 
push this and push this and push this, I think, for their own self-interest because they love football and want football. I, I for a while, resented those people because I didn't think they were arguing from a position of um, reasonably what was best. You know, it was about themselves. Ryan Day wants to compete in the college football playoff. That's why they want to go early. And, I, you know, there would make nothing would make me happier than Ohio State losing to Purdue uh open the season and have their playoff playoff hopes dash and have that whole storyline gone because that, that bothered me. So I, it wasn't that I didn't want football back. I certainly, uh, if football can be played safely, would love to have college football back. But I learned to resent some of the people who were pushing it and how they were pushing it. And so you get to the point where you don't want them to enjoy football and you know football comes back yeah. and they enjoy it. And that's a very petty way of thinking. But it, but it all comes back to the conflicted nature of it, where I don't know if this should be our priority right now. I think this is a bad week for it. I think this was look, you, you, you've got, you know, we're we're getting up near a thousand cases over at Michigan State University. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Ingham County where Michigan State is. I don't know if by the end of the week could even play a Big Ten football game based on the seven point five percent, you know, community. Uh, or the the um, positivity rate for for the community you're in, Brigham County. You've got, you know, Wisconsin in lockdown, as I mentioned. You've got things like, I, 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 if I were a school president, I would have said, all this looks really good. I'm not doing this this week. I'm not. And and I understand they do things in a consensus, and I bet you there were some some pushback on that. Um, you know, and, and obviously the people who were in the minority this time probably – uh, we're not going to squawk like they did at Wisconsin, um, and we're not going to bow like they did at Ohio State when Ohio State wasn't originally for playing. They were against it, and they felt political pushback in their own state and they and, and from their own fan base, and they they, they changed their vote. Um, so I I don't know. I, I am conflicted if that's the answer. I am going to cover it. I am going to enjoy it, and I I am, uh, but I'm also aware that there's some perversion in our priorities. Oh, I think Graham took a big yeah. left turn on that. Follow that, just follow that, Chris. Hey, when did you when did you when did you think it was going to be a reality? <laughs> um, you know, you know, just to echo some of what Graham said in some ways, I, I and obviously not necessarily as vociferously as Graham, but um, you know, I, I think it was on both sides. I, I think we've seen a lot of people on both sides the issue, you know, fighting against it, fighting for it. You know, the, the biggest thing is the safety piece. You know, you don't, the biggest thing you don't want to see is medical people pushed into a decision based on pressure that goes against their medical training. And if they believe it's safe, then, then that's good. There are other issues at play. The, the community spread is, is something that, uh, you know, when I talk with Dr. Amish Adalja, uh, class of Butler High, 1993, um, but he's at Johns Hopkins as an infectious disease doctor. He's on the NCAA panel. That was a, that's a big concern, the community spread. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the simple fact that these rates are going up in these communities. I'm talking about the fact that these, and, and you've seen this a number of times already, right? You know, you saw it at Oklahoma at one point, you saw it at a couple other places where you can't, it's because they're amateur athletes. If you want to keep that guise, right? If you want to continue the, the facade of being amateurs, 
you're not going to be able to tell them you can't go see your family. And what if their family brings it to them when they come to these games? Michigan State and the other Big Ten schools are working on trying to get family members to be able to see these games, but you know they're going to see these kids after the game. What if one of them spreads it to the team? What if uh, these kids go out into the community? And like Bill Beekman was even talking about, you know, that their kids that are coming back with these positive cases, many of them aren't out at bars with hundreds of people. They're in small gatherings and, and just doing normal things and playing cards with about half dozen people. And that's how it's spread. Um, you know, that's a concern. That's a real concern um, that, you know, what, what the only good thing that, that the rapid testing will tell you is if when you come back for practice the next day, well, those six teammates that were playing cards last night, are all, all of a sudden going to be in isolation if they have COVID and if, if one of them spread it to the other. So certainly th- there are issues. Now, when did I think it would come back? Um, you know, I did think, I started to think that things could change um, when, when the rapid testing was revealed, and that wasn't too long after. But at the same point, the, the Big Ten was adamant, and other people were, around the conference were adamant they weren't going to play. Well, last week... And this to tell you how quickly this story developed. Late last week, you know, I had a source telling me that Michigan State was still preparing to play uh, for a post-Thanksgiving at the earliest or uh, January football schedule. So, you know, that was, I believe, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. And, and even when the Big – I think it was Thursday that the Big Ten got that letter from the six congressmen and wrote almost a really flippant response – where they were quoting, and Graham loves the quote t- tweets. That Big Ten response was a was nothing but a statement with a quote tweet. But um, you know, quoting the the letter, I thought there was a little glib. But then, well, probably it was around Saturday, the wheels were turning quite a bit, and and you started hearing from sources that it was really picking up. And by Sunday, uh, from what I understand, that that's when the vote was taken. And this is so. What the what the holdup was between Sunday and Wednesday is a big question to ask. Um, what I think is interesting is that uh, I believe that, that Wisconsin and, and Barry Alvarez is a big is on the scheduling committee and he had a lot to do with this. Wisconsin's uh, uh, pause in playing I think runs until September 24th. Well, that's one month before the season starts. So if you would have started on the 17th of October. You wouldn't have had Wisconsin playing week one. So hmm. th- that's what we talk about things fast moving and political. Yeah. I mean, we're not just talking about the president. We're not talking about senators being political. I mean, there's politics that goes on in the big 10 all the time, big, uh, but you've seen the messy side of it on, on the conference level being played out in public. Usually you don't see it played out as publicly as we have. And that's been, that's been the real, uh, the, 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 the messiness and the lack of communication from the Big Ten, I think, has been the big problem that the Big Ten has faced here in the last month. Yeah, and I'm going back through some tweets here and some things and just looking at the date. And, and the, the, the September 13th was Sunday, right? Yeah, it would have been Sunday. And uh, that, that was the day that I had heard somebody, that the exact format that came out with the um, – now, they were preferring October 17th at the time, the eight-week, the extra game for every team, two-versus-two, three-versus-three, last place versus last place in the division, the bonus game. And so I guess it was 
sometime around there, or maybe that you know Christmas Saturday that you started to see it. And I think the the Pac-12, which is not playing now, and, and has other issues going on with air quality and and states and different levels of lockdown with with COVID. But they they're they're them leading the way and changing their tune a little bit with the rapid testing. I think also paved the way for the Big Ten, and and um, I don't know, you know, the, the thing is, what's interesting, Chris, is that for so long, you know, rightfully so, we we're very critical of the Big Ten's inability to explain itself uh, on the front end when it canceled the season uh, and to do so adequately. Um, but the one thing they did mention, and Samuel Stanley from Michigan State mentioned, was the the, the issue and concerns with testing. And ultimately, that gave them testing wound up being the piece, and and the myocarditis was, is obviously an important part. But without the without the rapid testing, I don't think we get to this point because the the ability to to test an entire squad the day of a game on both teams, and maybe any every worker in the stadium or whatever it is, and, and just feel like you have created a bubble on game day, uh, I, I think is is truly, uh, you know, the, the essential piece. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for for what the Pac-12 gives, the Pac-12 also took away from the Big Ten in terms of public perception when back on August 11th they rolled Kevin Warren out on BTN, which should be, you know, as friendly a friendly face as you get if you're the Big Ten commissioner. I mean, that's your network. And I thought Dave Grevson did a pretty good job of, of – asking some tough questions to Kevin Warren. He wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. And he sounded like someone who was talking around subjects rather than what the PAC 12 did a day later when they canceled and had a 23 page report telling you why and had Larry Scott out there, the commissioner talking about it. And not mind you, Larry Scott also had, had a COVID case. So he has, he got plenty of background on this, but they he, he talked to numbers of media outlets around the entire PAC 12 to explain it. And Kevin Warren, all that he's done was go on the Big Ten Network and be floated to national media. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing to answer the people in West Lafayette that have concerns or Madison or State College or, or East Lansing, where, again, you know, you've seen the, the houses getting, what, 30 houses quarantined, large houses. Um, you know, the, the, the cases are rising. You, you've got Maryland on pause. You've got Wisconsin. What, you know, you're continuing to you have to look inward a little bit and understand that it, you might be the big 10, but you're still responsible to these communities. And that I think did not help him one bit in Lincoln, Nebraska or Columbus, Ohio. The fact that, that this guy didn't come out and explain it, but then I don't necessarily know if it's all his fault. Um, you know, I think he, he has enough people in that, that big 10 office that, that command high salaries that, um, quite honestly should have had him prepared for some of that stuff from his own network. And they didn't. Um, and then they, they wouldn't pull him out there. And even, even today in the announcement, um, notice they had five other people surrounding us for cover. And, and I thought, uh, Ray Maurice from Cleveland.com got the one question is that, that kind of got through that wasn't one of the normal national honks. Doug grilled him and said, why was your communication so terrible? And he deflected it. I mean, that's, you know, he, he only wanted to look forward. But, you know, that's, that's the reality where the Big Ten is. And they've got a lot of public perception they've got to make up in the 14 Big Ten communities, and, and particularly with a number 
a number of the students and parents and everybody else who had who went through hell and high water to get to try and get this back or at least at the minimum get an explanation so you know but yeah. the bigger the bigger thing they have now is they have their football back yeah and i think people will forget i mean here's the thing you know nobody pays attention to the conference office until a moment like this right i mean yeah there are a lot of, i mean it becomes a very hot topic but people people care about their teams and their football and and I, I do think the best thing that can happen for the Big Ten is is is, is football, and that it that it happens, and that it happens safely, uh, in terms of a COVID perspective. I mean, there's still violent collisions, obviously, but you know what I mean. Uh, and and that it goes off without a hitch, and and revenue is generated, and this and um, and pe- people will there will be bygones. I mean, people will. I mean, this is first of all, it, it is. I, I the one thing I'll say about like I, I thought they owed us a lot more because this is a public health crisis. And I was disappointed in that and, 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 and the president's too. And, and just in the, the lack of transparency entirely, which, but yeah, by, and by, and by us, it's not us reporters. It's the, the community at large that, yeah. that is around these universities. But, but I also think that there are two things about leadership right now. One, it's really hard to lead in these times. But it also is lacking. We're seeing it a lot of places. You know, we, we see people uh, give in and struggle to lead and disappoint people. And um, leadership is sometimes disappointing people. Sometimes it's admitting you're you're wrong and reversing course. Sometimes, but we have leadership is is has been lacking a lot of places. But it's also, um, I think, really difficult right now because, uh, you know, on every subject it seems like there's a division, um, and it all revolves around how serious COVID-19 is and, 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 um, you know, I, I, you know, the, the people who, here's my, here's my problem with people who really push college football, um, to come back because they wanted college football back and they were just angry and like that, that, that energy, that passion, if we had, as a society had that about getting kids back in schools in June, They'd be back in schools right now, and and so that that that's what bothers. It, it's a priority thing, and that's that's where my my you know that, that that's where my you know any issue I have with the decision right now isn't about the decision itself. I think the decision looks um, fairly wise based on the information they have. They look like they've done a ton of work. They look like they've got great protocols. They look like they've got situations where communities have to live up to their end of the bargain. Teams have to live up to their end of the bargain. Um, my issue is is just the priority overall, uh, and, um, and 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 I'll get over that. What have the players done in all of this? Because this, in all of this, what has been lost once again in a lot of ways, are the athletes. Do you feel, and this is for, for either and both of you guys, do you feel that the athletes early in this process looked like they had understood the power that they had to exact some change to to get things done? Did they acquiesce that power? Did they give it up? Did they did they cave when when you had these players coming together saying we want this that or the other thing, and demanding better testing and demanding uh, a lot of other things, and then all of a sudden saying no, actually we we just want to play. I mean, it's kind of funny that you know the night the Trevor Lawrence Justin Field, I think Trevor Lawrence really loved the way here, but those tweets that came out about you know trying to it wasn't really a, a union per se, but it was you know, collecting the players together to stand for all of those things that you mentioned, Chris. And then 
a three or four, well, I don't even know if it was three or four days, all that stuff, all of the big stuff in, in terms of like unionizing was, was long gone. Once, once some of those power conferences, like the ACC, the SEC, and the, uh, which whatever one, the other one I didn't say, uh, they said they decided they were basically going to play. So I would say to your question that they really probably did not, you know, maximize that to the, to that part of it anyway, to their full potential. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Well, I, I also think that, that, like everybody else, they don't all agree. Uh, I mean, you yeah, do see right. people opting out. I don't think this is a unified front right now. I think there are a lot of players who aren't enthusiastic about this particular year. Um, and I, I think there are some who really want to play and some want to do, you know, want to play for their own reasons. Some, you know, think they ought to play. I mean, I, I, um, I think it's just hard to get any group right now. And I, I think that was part of the issue. You know, uh, they had they had more power than the coaches. I was surprised, like, uh, right <laughs> – I know Ryan Day is the coach of Ohio State. It's a damn good thing I'm not the commissioner of the Big Ten. Because I would have told him to oh. sit down. To sit down. I would have told him, we'll listen to the players. We'll listen to the presidents. You know who we're not going to listen to? The head coaches. Sit down. But that, 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 I, mean, I, that, I, 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 I think not... you, saw, you saw the exact reason why there weren't coaches and athletic directors in those initial meetings with that. Well, coaches especially. I mean, you know, I mean, First of all, coaches and, 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 and I've known some great coaches, but coaches are can be some weird dudes too. And you know, and, and, and their priorities are what their priorities are. Yeah. I mean it's football twenty four seven, three sixty five. They don't yeah. there's very little outside of football that they're paying attention to, world, political, other sports, you know, things in general. It's very very narrow minded. And you discover it with some of these guys when they do get asked deep questions. Some of them are smart, some of them are, are deep thinkers. Uh, but you, when some of these guys get asked things that are outside of their realm, you, you discover just how little you know, how little they've read or <laughs> or how little they've consumed right. other things. And uh, I, I just, I yeah. I, but I think the players uh, did and do. And I think going forward, what's going to be fascinating uh, is that the, I think the players have also like how we treat football players, how we view them now, because they were so necessary athletic departments they were so necessary for part of this i think they know it i think we're going to view um we, we can no longer pretend at any level that a football player and a soccer player or volleyball player are the same thing on a, on a scholarship on a campus we just can't and in terms of and we always knew that but we really can't now and i think conversations going forward will, will be with that understanding of course what will the athlete side be on those conversations now that name image and likeness is coming up because that's a big you know, thing in, in watching the congressional hearings this week. Uh, it sure doesn't seem like the, the senators seem to understand any of this. Um, when, when a Senator is saying things like, well, I, I think that 
if a, if an athlete earns some money off their name or image or likeness while they're in college, it should be distributed to all the athletes in college. It's a lot. That's, yeah, that's, that's a lot of athletes. To that cut wasn't. That, piece that of the was pie. not. That was not a liberal Democrat saying that either. No, not, that, that that's not really the whole point of name, image, and likeness. And and name, image, and likeness. If it goes, and I think it will eventually get to where. Um, we think it will. I think that'll also make things less unified because I think it's going to divide locker rooms. And while it's right, it's, 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 it should be a right that kids have. It will not be um, – it'll, it'll be a mess for a little while, and that will not help their overall empowerment because while they have that, they won't agree on much. There'll be a lot of resentment in a lot of places. It, it, it'll, it'll be an overall mess. You know where there should be resentment? For these kids who make $9 million a year on their YouTube channels. You know why I say that? There's no restrictions on them doing that as a, as a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old. But if you all of a sudden become a, a recruited athlete and you have a YouTube channel, you can't do that. Right. You can't, so, do that. You, like, I mean, you can't create a Patreon or whatever for, you know, whatever project or yeah. projects you're doing, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, if, if a nine-year-old kid playing with toys, uh, so my five-year-old kid watches it, all of a sudden makes $9 million off that, what? What about the athletes who are on whose high school games are on television or whose college games are on television? What's their worth? I mean, that's the reality of this. You know, there's a worth to things. I, I used to tell journalism students who who would come to after I'd give them my my little spear, what's your major, and do you have time to change it? Um, I would tell them, I say, don't work for free. I mean, it's great to have experience. You could do that any number of places. Uh, but what you do is has value to it. And, and I think one thing is the athletes are, are becoming more hyper aware of because of social media, because, and I thought Michigan state did a good job in those first couple days of pumping out a lot of that name, image, and likeness. And how can you build your brand? I mean, these athletes, these kids are aware of it. Their peers are doing it. Their, their peers at the highest levels are doing it and turning pro. So, you know, colleges have to adapt with the times and, you know, uh, you know, but again, you know what, you know what else athletic departments worry about with that, particularly with everything else that's going on. What if the endorsement money that you have uh, from a local sponsor, instead of going to your athletic department, now all of a sudden goes to your quarterback. Uh, I, I kind of, let's kind of go back here to the bit to the big 10 announcement today. I, I, one thing I'm interested in is the protocols. Uh, this is something Grainer and I talked about a little bit off air. The, the protocols that the Big Ten has in place for, you know, the county or the community and you know, the percentages of uh, people who are testing positive for COVID. I, I, it is on my understanding. I don't think any of the other conferences have those kind of protocols in place. Do you guys happen to know that at all? And if so, do you think? And if so, do you think a uh, those protocols are too strict? And b do you think they might have to change them if a, a, a number of schools fail to reach that number? No, no, I don't. I mean, for, I don't know what they have like downside. Like, I, I think it's important to have those protocols because, like, the five percent on a team, the, the um, is you know pretty. That's a pretty standard. The five percent positivity rate. You see schools and, and communities that that's sort of a a, a a a mark that when they go above, things change. They shut down. They they get out of the classroom. You get to seven and a half percent. You shouldn't be doing a lot of things in your community. And so I think that's smart, and it puts the onus on on people. You look, you know, one of the things that was interesting about all, all summer, we looked at uh, we looked at young people for what they were doing and 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 uh, demanding social justice and um, 
we looked at what student athletes were saying we want voice and they want to be treated like adults and then you watch student college student behavior and, and, and the outbreaks it causes you can't have it both ways if you want to be taken seriously if you want to be listened to uh you, you you've got to behave on campus and you ought to have the account i like that students that 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 piece of it put more than anything because if you take student bodies off out of these communities you're never going to get above 7.5 percent right now or you shouldn't the only thing that threatens these communities is student behavior and i think it puts accountability on them and and and, and i really like that 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 piece of it in terms of the um uh the the, the positivity rate protocol yeah, I think it's important, and I think it's important to to keep that that larger community in mind. Um, you know, it has to be that way, and I think that's at least one thing that they were able to do was spend that month trying to get those protocols in place. I like what you know the the, the job that they have with the multi level approach to athletes who do contract COVID. I think is important because. You know, they're, they're, they, I think it was a four-part process to check for myocarditis and any other potential heart issues. Um, I think that may seem excessive, but I think that in talking to some of those, those medical people and some of the people on the Big Ten committee, there's still unknowns with that. It remains unknowns with that. And, you know, it, it, it's going to be a risk that, that athletes are going to have to take and, and understand. Um, you know, the percentages aren't great. You know, let me, that didn't sound right. The percentages aren't high, um, for that to happen, but it's, it is a potential and, you know, especially, and I've said this how many times over the last couple of months, you know, your heart and your lungs as an an elite athlete are the most important things because that's a lot of times what separates, uh, you know, the, the elite athletes, that, that get major division one scholarships from kids at D two and D three. And, you know, the, the elite of the elite become pros and then the 1% of that becomes superstars. And a lot of times it's because of their cardio and because of their, their lung capacity. So, uh, you know, that's, that's good in terms of protecting these kids. And, uh, I, I believe, uh, I think it was Rebecca blank from, uh, Wisconsin, uh, said that that athletes will be protected if they do get COVID. Uh, for, I think it was two years that that they will be get that. So that's that's something that I think is important for for kids uh, if they are going to opt in and play that to have some protections. And I think that that's one thing where the rights that they were trying to fight for uh, certainly. You can if if I see some of these testing protocols and I was a kid who was leery uh, or on the fence, I should say. Cause I think some of the kids who, who are leery probably just aren't going to do it. And I think some of the kids who were gung ho are going to do it regardless, but it's the kids that are in the middle that, that you wonder about. And I think Marcel Lewis is one of those guys who, who opted back in the, the redshirt freshman. Um, you know, he had family members who had COVID and who died from COVID and these protocols that, that he saw today helped him decide to opt back in, which I think is, you know, that, but for every Marcel Lewis, there's going to be other guys who opt out and you've seen it around the country at, in other schools and other conferences, even in the middle of the season. So it's just going to be a wild ride, I think, for from here until December or January or whatever it is. Yeah, it's going to I mean, it's going to be a really interesting couple of months. And like you look at Memphis today, where 42 of their 46 student athletes who 
uh, came out with COVID were football football related activities, and then you have LSU coach at Ordron today saying, "Either yesterday today, uh, yesterday today, saying uh, basically our entire team's had it at some point." So uh, you know, looking at Michigan State and looking at the potential nine game schedule. I mean, did, what are the what percentages would you say that Michigan State would actually will actually play the full nine game season? Maybe, maybe if you want to throw something out there, the other Big Ten in general, what percentage of games overall do you think will actually see played throughout the course of the season? I'm going to keep it short because I think it's hard to gauge. Because here's the thing: Michigan State could do every single thing right, have zero tests, and Iowa could have 35 tests, and you're not playing that game. I mean, that there are things that are out of your own control right now. They're, they're literally out of each program's control other than, and I, this is great coach speak because coaches love this, um, you control what you can control. Um, control the controllables. But, but that's, yep, that's, you know, but that, that's not controllable for them, not what the opponent's doing during their work week, right, Until before Saturday. So, you know, what, what percentage do I think? Of, let's say they're going to play nine or they're scheduled to play nine. Um, you know, uh, and we'll just assume Michigan state does everything right. They have, they have no positive cases. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're good school boys and, you know, have their books and pencils all, all together and are studying all the time, uh, instead of doing anything else. I, I, I'd say, you know, six or seven. And that's spitballing because that's all that we can really do at this point. Because we don't just like just like the COVID stuff, we don't have the data. We don't know how it's going to be, other than what we've seen around the country, where games have already been shuffled and pushed back. But the Big Ten doesn't have any flexibility because there's no bye weeks to to just push back a game right now. That's that's I think the one thing that's going to, as Bill Beekman had said, cause some of these teams that do have to cancel. They're going to cancel those games. There's, there's no there's no time to make them up. Right, yeah, you don't have the with the original ten game schedule. You had the, the windows, and, and they're not going to have those. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. It, it's impossible to know. I just, I, I think you'll have some Big Ten games canceled. Maybe Michigan State will be one. That, maybe they won't. And and you know how, how whether it's two weeks in a row. How you know how it, what we also don't really have a sense of is you know how you know we're, we're that's going to be played largely in a time of the year where. Uh, you know the flu season, and there's just there's, it, it's just going to be a little bit different. We're going to be a lot more indoors, and so I, I, I to answer your question, I have no idea, Phil. All right, well, let's move on. Move on to some Twitter questions here, guys. Uh, first one comes from Zach Serdinek. He asks, "What is a reasonable record for Michigan State this year, Graham?" It's a really good question. We haven't seen the schedule yet. My understanding is it's probably going to be similar to the one that was out previously. It's a tough schedule, um, but you know it, it, it's. You know, it's a weird year in some ways because it, it's they didn't get a real run up. I don't think for Michigan State they would have minded not playing this year. I think they knew they needed the time. Um, but in the, on the other hand, and, and it's not ideal that you're playing conference only. Although Miami, BYU, Toledo is not going to be easy for this group. On the other hand, though, it's a shorter schedule, right? So you're not going to get worn down like you might late in the year. Um, you're playing against a conference and opponents, many of which have lost their best players. Uh, perhaps the NFL draft, we'll see how many opt back in. Um, so th- there'll be some talent, uh, lessening of the talent that, that you're facing. Um, and it's not going to be a year. It's, it's going to be different. It's going to happen quickly. 
there may be some bulls. There may not. You're not going to feel like you're sitting out December if you, you know it doesn't finish. If if your season ends December 19th and you don't play in a bowl game a week and a half later, it's not going to feel like you really missed out on anything. So I, I think in some ways for a first year for a, as you're trying to get your feet wet as a program, there's some good things. I, I, if Michigan State plays the nine games, um, you know I would guess you know and and I don't know who they're going to play, but. I, I would I would guess just based on the talent they have offensively that they should be competitive in half their games. Whether they win them, I don't know. But when I but but at least half of them they should be competitive. They should be better than Maryland still. They should be better than Rutgers unless those programs have taken giant steps forward. Um, and they should be competitive in a couple other games. I would say uh, three three and five seems um, I don't want to say optimistic but reasonable. Uh, is something new to, to expect. Or th- if they play us ninth, four and five, three and six, that range. Chris? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that Mel Tucker has yet to have a practice in pads with his players. I mean, that's the timing of everything just really conspires against them having a lot of traction. I think they're going to be competitive. I, I But you know, I, I think the the tough thing when you have new faces in important places, um, you know, you, you, it takes an adjustment period, and a lot of times that adjustment period happens during spring ball, summer workouts, and and preseason camp. Well, that's that's all been kind of scuttled for Michigan State. So, you know, I, I, I do agree with Graham though that I think that you know, you got a veteran group on the offensive line that's back, and I think the time off should help them be a little healthier. Um, if anybody, I think, benefited from it, it's those offensive linemen who have been so banged up over the last few years um, from a from a health standpoint, not maybe just from a, from a physical standpoint, not from a, a timing standpoint that's needed on that line together. Uh, and, you know, you have so many replaces, there's so many replacements coming on the defensive side as well. You know, I'd I'd probably say that that three to four win range. Again, this is without seeing who the opponents are going to be. Um, but you know, if you, it, I, I believe what I heard earlier today, and this is still Wednesday, even though it feels like it's been forty eight hours to seventy two hours ago. Um, you know, I, I think I had heard that they're going to try and go back to the original Big Ten schedule that was was planned out before the season. Not the not the recrafted one from from August. Yeah, that's what um, that's what Purdue athletic director Mike Babinski said. Yeah, which which was which is a nine game Big Ten schedule, but you would have to drop one. So you know who's the one that gets dropped for for Michigan State in that? It, 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 odds are it'll be a crossover game that gets dropped for these teams rather rather than a divisional game. Just uh, you know. They, and perhaps they even, I, I, you know, because I don't know how I'm not privy to the meetings. It could be just where's the farthest away game. So for, if, I, if it's Michigan State, you'd probably, you know, farthest away game I think on the schedule was, was uh, Iowa. Let's see. Well, Iowa, yeah, Iowa was the crossover because Indiana, Penn State, and Maryland are all in your division. Right. So it'd probably be on that respect it would be Iowa. So you know that would lighten the load a little bit more. Um, but you still have Ohio State, Michigan, and. You know, no idea if the Michigan game's still going to be in Ann Arbor or as, as they changed it to, or if they're going to put it in East Lansing like it was supposed to be originally. So, in other words, none of us know anything. That's my that's my answer. Perfect, great final great, answer. Great record predictions from you guys. 
despite no padded practices for <laughs> Mel Tucker, uh, I'm going to ask this question anyway from Hamza. One player on each side of the ball who could have a breakout year. Graham? Oh, well, I, I mean, on offense, I mean, yeah, it's, it's – you know, you know the, the the guy that, and, and there are a number of re- receivers. You know, you look at the the, the, the Trey Mosleys of the world. You know, I, I I don't know which receiver. I have a feeling though, um, there will be a receiver this year because they have a lot of intriguing young guys, and that's really to me what makes this season interesting is their skill position. I mean, obviously their offensive lines more experienced. It's, they've got to take steps there. But I mean, what's going to be fun to watch, I think is the skill position guys on offense. You know, Elijah Collins, he's kind of established himself, obviously, and he's, he's uh, you know, an exciting young back. But they've got a number of guys, and I don't know who I don't know who will emerge there because I, I really don't know who will separate themselves. But I would say, you know, I do think they'll wind up that that's one of the advantages of playing this season rather than not, is that we will leave December knowing – that somebody emerged there. That's a that's a that's a guy you can lean on. That's a guy you can you, you know you've got a stud there on offense. Um, defensively, it, it's really hard. And Naquan Jones to me is is the guy who's the best NFL talent on the roster. Is he going to be consistent? I don't know, but it, it's it's his time in the middle, and um, he probably knows it. And I, so that would be, that would be my my pick. Chris, yeah, I would I would go with Naquan Jones as well, but. You know, and some of that is because what's we don't know what's happening yet with Jacob Panashuk, who opted out originally. You know, is he going to opt back into play, which would give you a better defensive end and would take pressure off Naquan Jones in a lot of ways. But and Panashuk, I think, also could be one of those kind of guys in his last year if he does play. Uh, well, I shouldn't say last year because of those those pesky waivers the NCAA are going to be granting. To, to all these kids, whether they do or don't play this fall. Um, uh, I think the other thing with Naquan Jones is that he hasn't been at every down nose tackle. Um, you know, the bulk of those reps uh, went to Raquan Williams and Mike Panashuk the last few years, and he's been kind of the second team guy uh, for a few years. So physically, how is he going to be able to handle more reps and snaps? Uh, but I do like, I think, him, and I think, I think the other guy on the defensive side that I would say is primed for a potential breakout, um, you know, that maybe is off the radar. And Antoine Simmons mentioned him as Chase Klein, uh, the linebacker. Um, He's obviously turned heads of his peers and and his coaches. And, you know, they they, they lose two starting linebackers um, in, in Joe Bocci and Tyree Thompson. So you got some holes there to fill. Um, and I think Noah Harvey's one of those linebackers, and it sounds like Chase Klein could be there. On the offensive side, you know, I, I'd agree with you about the receivers. Jaden Reed, obviously, is a kid that you've heard a lot about, uh, which stuns me that I'm the first person to bring up the Western Michigan transfer here. I really I was, was trying not to do it. I was trying to do that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Jaden Reed and Trey Mosley both have a really good shot. Um, which I think will definitely help Rocky Lombardi in his transition. And I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Rocky Lombardi without someone necessarily looking over his shoulder will do. Um, although that, you know, the, the leash of a, a quarterback under a new coaching staff, uh, some, you know, an older quarterback in particular sometimes can be short. So, you know, he, I think that he's, he's shown at least from what we've heard from him and, you know, some of the things that I've heard from others and, and seen, 
he's shown some pretty good leadership and he's always been a good leader. It's the next step that he needs to take. But I think, I still think that to me, the breakout guy, and this is going to seem a little weird because last year was kind of a breakout for him was, is Elijah Collins because Elijah Collins nearly got a thousand yards running behind a line that was banged up to high hell and has been for the last two years. So if you were able to get Elijah Collins behind a, a, a steady group of five under Chris Kapilovich uh, who, who can give him holes and, and give him room to the outside. I think you're talking about, you know, potential Jeremy Langford type season for this kid. And if you get that, well, then a lot of things open up for Rocky Lombardi and those receivers, because, you know, you got to key in on the run at that point and that should open up the passing game. So I'm going to say Elijah Collins on the offensive side. I think, I think he can break the thousand yard mark even though it'll probably be pretty tough with only nine games. All right. I'm going to participate in this question as well. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I am going to say uh, – actually, it's registered freshman on both sides of the ball. But on the offensive side, Devontae Dobbs, the big offensive lineman, the five, four or five-star mm-hmm. guy, depending who you ask, uh, player. I think this is the year he, he shows that promise and is a big part as to why Elijah Collins may or may not get 1,000 yards this year. And on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Michael Fletcher, a 6'6", 259-pound defensive end. He'll be a redshirt freshman. Watch out for him. Book it. All right. Yeah, Fletcher. Fletcher's a good candidate. Um, Thank you. Take, sometimes it takes. Sometimes it takes those DNs a little bit of time to adjust to that college level. But he's got the physical tools. Uh, it, maybe not this year, but but for sure uh, down the line to be a, a force coming off the edge. And they need pass rushing without with with the losses they've sustained on that defensive line. Phil just said, "Book it. It's not next year. It's this year, Chris." <laughs> I'll take it. That is true. Coach Ross Anderson asks, do you expect the mask mandate will be enforced at the Big Ten level like other college, club, and high schools in the state? I'll jump on that one first because I actually, I actually messaged the Big Ten about that, and I'm waiting to hear about it. Gotcha. When I talk about, when I talk about things that matter at a local level uh, that the Big Ten ignores, that's one of them because that's obviously on the books as, as a governor's mandate that needs to be done. And I, I asked the Big Ten, um, are you going, is it going to be not just – the mandate for the for the mask but is it going to be a cloth mask mandate or are you going to have those plastic face shields and who pays for them i mean things that things that are important to these individual institutions and and laws that go around each community i think uh you know well we'll, i'll let you know when i hear back from the big 10 about that and uh what the protocol was for brian lewerke's concussion and the spotter on that from uh last fall that i haven't heard back from you know, obviously, Governor Gretchen Whitmer has the the you know is requiring masks be worn in high school football. The difference is they they don't have rapid testing, so you're you're trying you know the masks right. are your, your your answer when you when you don't know who has COVID and who doesn't. Um, and so I, I, right now it's on the books, but I think that will be modified, uh, and the rapid testing will be. I mean, for it's an easy reason. It's it's not. It's not her having the lions for the lions, for example, are not are, are exempt from that because of their testing protocols. Well, and, and they're a pro team. She did, you know, a while back, she did, right. you know, all pro sports. And so college sports is a little different. It would be harder just to say college sports, but the testing protocols, you're right, Chris, are are what what what, what separates yeah. the situation. Chains Ramon asks, is illness and lack of depth on the bench going to make this a less meaningful season? Well, I, I meaningful is interesting here because I do think this will have. Um, it's going to be different. It's going to be. A, it's going to be a season. I think you can shake off a little better if it doesn't. A little easier if it doesn't go well, because it's an odd season. It's. It's going to be. You know. It's. It's going to be different. 
I think if you win the Big Ten, it won't be any less. Uh, it won't be any less difficult to do. Uh, and and um, if you win a national championship, I don't think that's any less difficult. So I don't, I don't know if it'll have less meaning. I do think you'll find times that, um, you know, if if COVID becomes something that is 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 hindering rosters, the, the thing is, you get you get to, it doesn't take a whole lot to get to five percent positivity on a roster. So if if you've got a hundred guys on a roster, and you get to five pretty quickly when you get an outbreak, and so. Um, I, I think if you don't have the depth in, in that sense, you, you're not going to be playing, period, uh, if, 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 if that makes sense. I mean, really, you get to five guys, you're sitting out the week. So I don't know that that's going to be an issue actually playing. That's, that's a position room. I mean, quite honestly. And that's the tight end position room. That's not even counting guys, the, the, the deeper positions like the defensive backs or, say, the, the offensive linemen. Uh, you know, the, the receivers that, that, that have multiple, you know, what, 10, 15 guys sometimes in those position rooms. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty weighty number. Alan Perlstein asked yeah. the current candidates for starting QB are all recruits of coach D'Antonio, all recruited to play in coach D's offense. From what you know about new OC Jay Johnson, what quarterback on the Spartan roster seems to be the best fit in terms of their physical size and athletic ability. Chris, have you had a chance to study Jay Johnson? Yeah, it, it seems like uh, four years ago, uh, but it certainly was somewhere in the spring. I couldn't tell you exactly when. Since, <laughs> you know, I, I saw someone say the other day, uh, like, is today this day or that day um, is kind of what I heard. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it's going to be interesting because I think one of the things that Jay Johnson talked about is being adaptable as an offensive coordinator to the personnel. Um, you know, he likes to throw the ball downfield. So, I mean, you know, it, he also likes bigger quarterbacks. Uh, so I think someone like a Theo day might fit that. Um, Peyton Thorne isn't exactly the biggest of quarterbacks, but he's got that mobility aspect to him. Uh, Rocky Lombardi is, is kind of a Mack truck. Uh, so you can do some different, different things with him. And I think that, you know, he, he's got experience, which I think is big. Um, you know, but I think the question is, you know, especially in a, truncated season i think some of us going to be approach right i mean how how are they going to approach this i mean are they going to use it um with a chance to to just say we need to see these kids and and do it that way um you know and then kind of look towards the following year um i don't know i mean you know that's i think the other thing to keep in mind as well with we were talking about the waiver situation you know these kids are going to get that extra year um, you know, is Rocky Lombardi all of a sudden got three years of eligibility left? You know, that's then, you know, it's a little different when you have a quarterback with multiple years of eligibility versus a quarterback with one year of eligibility left. I think, you know, obviously Damian Terry is a great example of that. You know, a kid who, you know, never really got a chance because Connor Cook was the class ahead of him and Brian Lewerke was the class behind him. And, you know, he, he was just kind of stuck in limbo, even as a four star recruit. So, you know, it's really hard to say when, and, and it's again, especially the quarterback position, not having that that those practices uh, in the spring and summer to build the rep to build the reps with the guys to to do the things that you need to do uh, to carry the whole offense because you're you're so fragmented right now with how they're they're practicing. I think it's going to be one of those things that that could play out over the course of the season, uh, and you know, you might see all three of those guys. Uh, I doubt that you'll see Noah Kim, uh, who is the, the 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 last of the 
the quarterbacks that that is a true freshman. But you know, yeah, you, well, it's kind of a freebie year, I think. Yeah, what you're saying is kind of feeds in the next question here, Chris. Uh, Joel Alexander asked, "Do you think MSU coaches would consider taking a rotational approach to the QB situation in the first few games to truly see who is the best QB?" I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to do. We haven't, you know, ever asked. I mean, they're just coming back now for, for good reason. We haven't been able to, to ask them that. But um, I also, um, I, I don't think it makes sense to do. It usually doesn't help a quarterback. I don't think it helps Rocky Lombardi, who I think has a, a you know, feels like a leader on that team, has a sense of that. I think you, it, it, I, my guess is he will have the job to start. And if things don't go well for a couple of games, it may not be his job. But it, it, it's easier to it, – it's, it's harder to bench the, the veteran guy and then come back to him later, when, you know. And, and I, I just don't think that works very often. So I would be very surprised if, uh, if they did that. And our last question, Tim W. asks, most important coach for MSU to have immediate success, Chris Kapilovich or Jay Johnson? Chris? Boy, I mean, that's an interesting question because, I mean, obviously Jay Johnson's success is tied to Chris Kapilovich. Um, but at the same point, everything is one in the trenches. I think just simply from a year one building block kind of year, it's, it, I think to me it's got to be Chris Kapilovich because you, you need to win in the trenches. And, and when Mel Tucker talks about being relentless, um, you know, that's where you need to be relentless to have a productive offense. You have to have – those five guys and then five guys behind them all ready to maul. Um, so I, I, and that's, that's been an issue for Michigan state, both, you know, both over the last four or five years um, with production standpoint and also from an injury standpoint. So yeah, I, I'm going to go with Chris Kapilovich. I'm, I'm totally with Chris here. I mean, the, the, if the offensive line is productive and a force or at least holds its own, the offense has a chance, and the offensive coordinator has a chance. It, it, if he doesn't, it, it, it won't. And, um, you know, look, I, I'm not saying that Michigan State's had the best coordinators and Dave Warner and Brad Salem, but when they've had offensive lines, uh, they've had good offenses. And, yeah, you want to see, I think, more creativity. You want to see some something a little different than what we've seen in, in late in the D'Antonio area especially. But – if they can't run the football and uh, they can't protect it, you know, you can have any wizard out there you want. It just doesn't work. I'm with both of you. I think it's Kapilovich or Kapilovich, however, however we're saying, saying that as well. All right. We are now on to the sports reporters part of, uh, of our podcast. Any final thoughts before we sign off for the night? I'm taking yeah. a few days off, guys. <laughs> That's my thought. This is the last thing I'm doing for a few days and uh, to recalibrate and get ready for a long, chaotic couple months ahead for all of us. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, there's a basketball and basketball yeah, season. We didn't gonna, even talk about the basketball stuff. Yeah. Yeah. November 25th oh, yeah. is when it's going to come out. I mean, so I think we're going to get an interesting overlap, but not the overlap we maybe thought because football season will be done about the time it was usually done anyway. And, um, and how this all looks and um, whether this all happens is still a little bit out there, but I look as somebody who enjoys this stuff and loves it. I, I think it could be fun to cover. Uh, I, you know, I don't have any idea whether we'll be anywhere in person covering it yet. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, but I, I think we're a long way from normalcy 
as a society. You listen to the CDC director today. You know, we're, we're looking at best case scenario, you know, end of the spring, early summer, probably next year from feeling some of that. And so this gives us some. And to be able to enjoy college football and college basketball, if we can do it safely, I, I you know, I, I I look forward to it. And, and and I think for Michigan State fans, in hoops, you've got a team that has a, a chance to compete at a very, very high level for big things. But in football, you, it's, this isn't like some team that you think is going to be dreadful and there's you're not building towards anything. I think it's an, a potentially exciting team to watch, even if it's a very average team. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal Detroit Free Press and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.